God's Word to Psalm 37, page 466 in the Blue Bible. Psalm 37, we'll be reading the first 11 verses of this wonderful psalm that is so full of many different encouragements. Psalm 37, we'll be reading verses 1 through 3, or 1 through 11. Of David, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Let's pray. O oh God, as we've just read these great promises and encouragements, we pray that you would encourage us greatly tonight and remind us of the blessedness that is ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would illuminate our eyes or our hearts and our minds, that you'd give us eyes to see, hearts to believe, and that you'd encourage us by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you could travel back into time, which, what era of time would you choose to go back into? I'm sure that you've thought about that before, and perhaps if you were a young child, you would think, well, I would like to be a knight, maybe in the Middle Ages, and be in different battles, and be on horseback, and, and be in full armor, and all these different things, kind of like the Lord of the Rings, or something like that. Maybe you'd like to live in the time of Jesus, and to walk and be an observer of Jesus, to be one of his followers, one of his disciples, maybe not an apostle, but one of those uh, other people that followed Jesus closely through his life, and watched his life and his ministry. Perhaps you'd like to be a Puritan in the time of England, or maybe in the early stages of the settlement of this country in Canada, maybe back in the 1700s, 1800s, and be portaging over rivers and lakes and all these different things that the early explorers did. Many different periods of, of history that we could think about and, and think maybe that would be fun. We have these romantic notions within our minds of what it would be like to live in a different area, in a different era. And perhaps you've thought, boy, I was born at the wrong time. I should have been born in a different time. And maybe we'd like to even go back five or ten years to the time uh, in which we've been living because uh, times now seem to be much more difficult and chaotic for us. But what we need to understand is that the Lord has providentially had us to be born during this particular time. That he didn't create us and make us for another time. He has created and made us for this time in this particular context in which we live. And as we think about context and we look at this psalm, we don't know the context 
in which David is writing. We know it's a psalm of David. We can piece together a little bit of a clue that he's an older man. We look at verse 25. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. So we think that David is an older man at this point. He's got some years of Christian experience behind him and he's looking back now on his life. Many different things that he has gone through. And so we don't know that particular context that David is writing in. But we do know something of our context. And the question that I want us to wrestle a little bit with tonight is, how do we honor God in the midst of the context in which we live? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. In the midst of a generation that's accelerating away from God. How do we honor God in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our work, all of these different areas. How do we honor God in this world? And I find this psalm to be of great encouragement in answering those types of questions as we look at this. And as a preface to and in the midst of these and other encouragements that we see from David here and these great promises that we see, we also see couched around it those words, fret not, fret not. We see that repeated three times. David tells us to fret not. And that is the first thing that we want to look at and unpack a little bit tonight. Fret not yourself. It is something that we do to ourselves when we are fretting. And we see this repeated in verse 1, in verse 7, in verse 8. Verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. And so we see the the fretting here is surrounded by this idea of evildoers around us. We're fretting because of the evil that is happening around us. Verse 7, fret not yourself over the ones who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. It vexes David and it vexes us as well when we see evil prospering, when we see righteousness suppressed and the evil prospering around us. Verse 8, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off. Now, what does... David mean by fretting. And often this word is translated as a kindling, as a burning within us, a burning within our hearts, a burning of anger within our, our hearts, where these different frettings are creating this, uh, the, this uh, groundswell of emotions within us that are causing us to burn in anger. And sometimes that anger can even be against God, as we will look at in a second here. But we allow sometimes the frustration to consume us, to be kindled within us, to be kindled in our hearts. And, and why do you get frustrated in this world? If you think about your life and some different frustrations that you have or anger that gets kindled within you, why do you do that? And I know for me, it's often because of things that seem to be outside of my control. It could be health issues, it could be financial issues, it could be as we look at society around us and see things crumbling. These things that are outside of our control can consume us and cause us to fret. And David says here this three times to stop doing that to ourselves, to don't do that, to stop doing that to yourself. And it repeats that because it's very important. And maybe David is looking back as an older man at failures that he's had, at victories that he's had, great deliverances, great times where he's defeated other 
people that are within the camp of Israel or outside the camp like Goliath. Think about that. That would be a time for fretting in David's life, in David's life but he didn't. He had courage. He believed the promises of God. He went in faith. He encountered Goliath and was able to defeat Goliath. But David also had battles, other battles with other nations, other outside forces. But he also had battles within, battles with Saul, battles within his own family even, with Absalom. And so David knew these great heights and he knew the great depths. He had the ups and downs of life similar to what we have, these different emotional pains that we go through. And the pain of a loved one who hates you and wants you to be dead, that is, that is something that would be a great, a great pain in the life of David and a pain that many of us are, I hope that we never know that type of a pain. But David in weakness was, was fretting, fretting at times when he thought about Saul, fretting so that he fled to live even with the Philistines. And so there are other notable people in Scripture as well who were fretting at the circumstances that they encountered. We could think about Elijah. We could think about Jonah. But how about us? How are we fretting when we encounter different difficulties that we go through? Do we fret when we look at the providence of God, the all-wise providence of God at work in our hearts and in our lives? Maybe we don't like those things that God is doing. Maybe we begin to fret about those things that God is doing. We don't like the things he's doing. We don't like the way that he's doing it. We don't like his timing. We want to be delivered much sooner than we are. And so these things go on and they can cause a fretting to happen within us, this burning within us, this anger that gets kindled within us. And so our anger can not only be in the outside world, as we look at these different forces that are anti-Christ, that, that hate Christ, that hate God and his word, all of these different forces that would vex us. But we can also have the spreading within when we become unsettled with the way that God deals with us, with his providence at work within our lives. And so David tells us not to do that. Don't fret yourself because of evildoers. Don't fret because of what God is doing. And we see that refrain from anger in verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. So he says, don't do that to yourself. Don't allow those things to happen. When those emotions begin to well up, we need to stop those. And one way, several ways to stop those emotions from welling up are found here in this particular passage. And so we see at least four antidotes here or or alternatives to fretting over the evil that is around us. What are they? Well, the first one is trust in the Lord and do good. Trust in the Lord and do good. We see that in verse three. Charles Spurgeon said, faith cures fretting. Carnal sight sees only things as they seem. Faith has clearer optics to see things as they are. We need to acknowledge that we don't have the vision that God has. And so it reminds me of 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. It says, make every effort to supplement your faith. That's really what we're talking about, faith and trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. It says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue, knowledge. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection, 
and brotherly affection with love. And then it says in verse 9, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now I see that some of you have glasses, and that makes me feel good. And the studies show that when you turn 40, that your eyesight begins to decline. And so I congratulate you if you are over 40 and you haven't experienced that, then that is a good blessing to have. And I see some of our older folks who do not have glasses, and that is amazing to me because I believe that study is true because almost when I turned 40, my eyesight declined. And so I had to get glasses for reading. I can see quite well in the back there. I can see the clock, all of those things, great. But up close, the closer something gets, the closer an object gets, the worse my eyesight gets. And so I need these, especially to see Zach and others of you up close uh, better, but also, of course, to be able to read. Because I was getting to the point where my arms weren't long enough to be able to continue to read my Bible or anything else. And so I had to get glasses. And eyesight is a very great blessing that we have. Being able to see is extremely important. And I can see at a distance just fine. It's those near things I can't see. But often we have the reverse problem spiritually. We see our circumstances all up close and we don't have that farsightedness. We're not able to see down the road. We're not able to see those things that God sees. And sometimes in our unbelief, we don't believe the promises of God that he gives to us. And so we need to have God's eyeglasses. We need to have the vision that the scriptures give us of the promises of God. And sometimes we struggle with our faith in this manner. And those other categories that we saw unfolded for us, like knowledge and self-control in Second Peter chapter 1, all of these different things, because we're blind, we don't see afar off. We're literally nearsighted, only seeing our pain and circumstances that we experience in the moment. And we're not able sometimes, we're blinded. We don't see that which is afar off. And so we see those close things, all of our different circumstances. God sees the big picture. We see a snapshot in time. God sees all of time, all at once, unfolding before him. And so we see this first alternative to fretting, and that is to trust, to have faith, to have faith in the promises of God, faith to understand that the circumstances we see in the present, the temptations that we have to fret over these things are not all that there is. And God has other plans at work. It's not the end of the story. And so our circumstances are temporary, and those who cause evil in this world also are temporary. And we saw that as we read through this passage, through these 11 verses, just a couple of examples. Verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 10, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. So the evil workers that we see around us, their work will be temporary. They will be cut down. They will be mowed down. They will be cut off by the Lord. And so we have to believe this by faith. Because we have poor eyesight, we have to believe by faith. We have to trust God because our circumstances and what we see tell us that the evil that we see around us has been going on and unfolding for a long time. 
And not only that, we have a compounding problem because it's very much accelerating over the past five or ten years. Very rapidly accelerating. But we need to remember and have all of these different things that want to well up and cause us to fret. We need to remember that these things are but a vapor. They will be temporary. That God has plans. He is at work behind the scenes sometimes. We don't see these things. But we do know that the wicked... The ruthless man, as Psalm, or as verse 35 and 36 say, the ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, flourishing, that's what we see in our day. We see this flourishing. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. And so that acceleration of wickedness will be cut down and cut off. The ruthless man excelling and flourishing right now are going to be cut down. There will come a point in time where God is going to stop it. And so we have all of these authorities in place in this world that God has structured our society with. And so we see all of these things being turned upside down. Another cause for fretting. We see that that criminals aren't afraid of going to jail. And we see that the policemen who are trying to arrest them are. Like, how upside down is that? But that is a picture of our society in the present day, where criminals are going free, and if they ever are arrested and jailed, then they get out quite quickly. And the policemen that arrest them sometimes spend more time in jail than they do. And so all of these things, all of this wickedness, will come to an end, and so we need to trust. We need to trust in the Lord and remember that His promises will unfold in their time, and that he will be at work for his glory and his great name's sake. And the second alternative that we see to fretting is found in verse 4. This is maybe one of the most popular verses, uh, most well-known verses that we see in this psalm. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, does that mean that if I'm a Christian, I can just ask whatever I want and God's going to give it to me? Well, you know that that is not true if you've been a Christian for any length of time. We can't just ask ask for an exotic sports car or a property on the lakeside or all these other things that might uh, be these these temporal uh, pleasures that we could enjoy. We know that those things are not going to come to pass. But what does it mean? If we are delighting in God, we're not going to ask for those types of things. It shows that we're going to be delighting in those temporal things and not the things of God. So what does it mean? And we're going to save what it ultimately means. I think it means to the end. But one thing that it means is that it's one thing for us to to trust in God. It's another thing for us to delight in God, to delight in God. How can we honor God by delighting in him when we see all of this wickedness around us? Well, again, we have to take a longer view, a longer picture at what is happening in our world and what God is doing. Not only is the evildoer's time brief and his judgment going to be sure, but we must also see the positive blessings that God has for his people, that he is at work to bless us. We know that there are going to be eternal blessings, all of the riches of Christ that are there in heaven for us at his right hand or pleasures forevermore. But God also blesses us temporally. 
temporarily, God gives us many, many blessings. I had the pleasure last Sunday evening of preaching at uh, my son's church and my daughter's church and, and being able to, to uh, baptize my second grandson. What a huge blessing that is for me to be able to do that. Tammy and I are both first-generation Christians in our family. And then to see our children walking with the Lord and now to see grandchildren being raised up in churches as well and to be baptized in churches is just a wonderful, tremendous blessing, temporal blessing, and yet also eternal blessings as we look at sharing eternity with them. Incredible blessings God gives us. If you grew up in a Christian home, what a tremendous blessing that is, a blessing we didn't get to enjoy as a couple. Lots of temporal blessings that we enjoy at the hand of God. He leads us, he guides us, he bears with us and forbears with us, patient with us, many, many different things that we have in Christ. And we're going to come to a few more of those as we move along here. But although we cannot delight in the wickedness that we see going on around us, we can delight in the knowledge that God is sovereign, that he is permitting these things and allowing these things for a time. And in his sovereignty and wisdom, he is allowing these different evil forces to act and they will ultimately work for his greater glory and purposes. And so we need to have confidence and not fret. I shouldn't fret. You shouldn't fret. We don't need to fret. There's nothing to fret about when we know God and we are filled with the promises of God. And when we do fret, then the underlying cause of that is going to be unbelief. We just simply are choosing not to believe God. So we need to go back to the promises of God. And so we can trust, we can delight. And then the third alternative to fretting, commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Now this committing here, it really means to roll the burden that is on us onto God. That's what committing means. Commit your way, commit your, your burden, give it to him. Trust in him and he will act. Give the burdens of your heart to the Lord. What are you carrying around with you? Now, if you are not a believer, then you have a burden of sin on your back, just like Pilgrim did in Pilgrim's Progress. And you need to deal with that. You need to come to Christ and, and relieve that burden of sin off your back. But even as believers, we can carry things around that we don't need to carry around. And God tells us, invites us to commit our way to him to take the burden off of us and to place it on God, to give it all to him. And so what we see here in these alternatives to fretting is a foundation. It's a confidence in God that we should have the firm foundation, a foundation of faith and trust expressing itself in different ways and delighting and increasing our confidence and commitment before God giving us a desire to walk in a new obedience, a strengthened obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we know the true and the living God. And so others who do not know the true and the living God, who are clutching onto other idols, should be able to say in times of great distress, they should have reason to fret in a number of different ways as they're clutching their idols and seeing them fail in this world. And they should be able to see us as the people of God, worshiping the true and the living God and being able to stand on that rock 
of the Lord Jesus Christ and seeing their idols fail and thinking that they need what we have. We need that type of testimony as we walk before the world. And so we can trust, we can delight, we can commit. And then the last alternative to fretting that we see here that we're going to look at tonight at least is be still before the Lord. Verse 7, rest, rest. Are you restless? Are you restless in your Christian life? God invites us to rest in Him. And when we rest in the Lord, we're expressing that confidence that we have in Him, that nothing catches Him by surprise. Different things can assault us. We don't know what's coming around the corner this coming week. The phone can ring, and we get an email, whatever it is, and our week or our day are sent sideways. But with God, nothing takes him or catches him by surprise. And he has a firm grip on all of the affairs of your life, all of the affairs of this world, and nothing will catch him by surprise. And so we need to rest instead of fretting, quietly waiting upon God. And that doesn't just mean stopping our mouths from saying certain things. That means quieting our hearts and our minds before the Lord quieting our spirit and having that subtle, restful frame about us that has that great confidence in the promises of God and who he is, trusting in the midst of trial. Now, in our final few minutes, I want to turn to Psalm 73. We read from this uh, psalm earlier. It's another psalm of great encouragement. It deals with similar themes to what we see in Psalm 37, though it is not written by David, it's written by Asaph, as you see at the, at the superscription at the, start, at the start of this psalm. But it is a great psalm of encouragement in so many different ways. And we see these similar themes. We see verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, being envious of those who are prospering by way of wickedness around us. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Then drop down to verse 16. But when I thought out to understand this, it seemed to me a worrisome task. Okay, so he's thinking about these things. He's vexed about these things. He's troubled, fretting about these things. And what is the antidote that he prescribes here? What was his answer? What was the help that he had? Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He went into the sanctuary of God. He went to the house of the Lord. He understood that the end of the wicked is vastly different from the end of the righteous. And so if we struggle with fretting and we struggle with employing even these these different alternatives to fretting that we see here, of faith and trust and delight, commitment, rest, God gives us help, and he gives us help in the form of the church. Asaph found the means of grace that God gives to us to be able to help us as we battle in this world. And this church should be a refuge for us. The house of God should be a refuge for us where we can come, we admit that we are weak, we admit that we are needy, we admit that we need help, that we need the encouragement of God's people. And so we approach the means of grace. We approach God's word. We approach prayer. We approach the sacraments. We approach the house of God, not as something that we tick off a list and say that we've done it and go on our way. But we take up the means of grace to remember that we 
are in a pilgrimage in this world. We are travelers sojourning through. And we have mountains, we have valleys, we have good times, we have bad times. And that, and that we should be helping one another as we go through this pilgrimage. And you know that. That's why you're here tonight. Because there is the aspect of, of realization that when we come through those back doors, we are saying something about ourselves and about the means of grace that God has for us. We're saying that we are needy. We are saying that we are sinners. We are saying that we need the prayers of God, people, God's people. We are saying that we need to hear the preaching of the word and be reminded of the promises of God. We're saying a lot of different things when we come to the Lord's house. And so we need each other. We need the church. We need to come to church unless we are providentially hindered. And in so doing, we draw nearer to God. As we pick up the God-ordained means for our encouragement, we come nearer to God. And in so doing, we delight in God. And before we are converted, we resist God. We don't see any delight in God or the things of God. Going to church, forget about it. Reading God's word, forget about it. Praying, forget about it. We didn't want any of that. God was a killjoy who kept us from doing the things that we wanted to do. We wanted to continue in our sins and God said no. God says stop it. And so God is too restrictive. We want to continue in immorality until we come to Christ. And then we see God as great. We see the hymn as altogether lovely. And then we find out that we were entirely wrong about who God is and that he is a God that we can delight in. The one who trusts in him, the one who commits their way to him, who rests in him, who finds refuge in him, finds great delight in who God is. And so we see this personified in the life and the death and the exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the better that we know him, the more we inevitably will delight in him. We see all of God's perfections in him. We see wisdom and holiness and righteousness, grace, mercy, love, kindness, patience. All of these things perfectly in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever God does, he is perfect in it, in the very execution of it. And so the promise attached to Psalm 37, 4, which may be the most well-known verse of this psalm that we are looking at in Psalm 37. The promise there is that if we delight in God, God will give us the desires of our heart. And this doesn't mean something foolish. It means something very, very grand and important for us. It means that if we are delighting in God and longing for God, God will give us the greatest thing that he can more of himself. The greatest thing that we need tonight is more of God. You may think that you need a lot of things, but I would argue that the greatest thing that you need is more of the person of God himself in your life, to know him better, to lean on his promises more fully, to intimately know him and to delight in him. And knowing him is delighting in him. The more we know of him, the more we delight in him. And that is what is pictured for us 
in Psalm 37. That is what we see unfolding for us in Psalm 73. Again, let's read verses 25 to 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Can you say that tonight? That there is nothing on this earth that you desire more than to know God more. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. That's what we need more than anything else, to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. So how do we honor God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in a generation that hates God and the things of God? We get nearer to him. How do we honor God as a father or mother in our families, as a student, a worker? We get nearer to God. We look up, we trust in the Lord, we delight in the Lord, we commit our way to the Lord, we be still before the Lord, and we look ahead that God will consume the wicked, and he will deliver and reward the righteous, and above all, he will see to it that his great name is going to be exalted. Let's pray. Oh God, we do ask that you would help us, and I stand here preaching things that I so often remind myself that I know so little of. And so help me to not fret. Help me to lean and to trust, to have faith, to desire and to delight in you more than anything else that this world offers. And Lord, we know that in you is great reward, that in seeking you is great reward, not only in time, but for all eternity. And so I pray for all of those here that are struggling this night, that are fretting as we look at the world around us, and we remind ourselves of the promises and the goodness of God. We pray and ask that you'd help us to live and to enact these promises in the coming week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'll now invite you to stand for the singing of our final